50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hi guys, I'm Nama. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Is. Emma, I'm so happy to be back. First Bravo episode of 2022. How does it feel? It feels good. I missed you so much and we're really starting off strong. Guys, these recent episodes of Miami are top tier television. No, this show is literally the best show I've ever seen. And I saw a tweet. Wait, I need to read this tweet to you because this is exactly how I'm feeling. It's by Nuevo username Alex by Lane 2. And it says, Noella and Jen were fighting over a tag on a picture. Meanwhile, on Real Housewives of Miami, Alexia had a chat with her dead husband's gay ex-lover. And later, we saw Julia and Adriana almost committing adultery in front of Julia's wife. It's not fair that RHOC has a bigger audience. Agree. We get a lot of DMs of people asking, I want to start Miami. Is it necessary that I watch the earlier seasons? And I know that you just did the rewatch and you encourage everyone to do it. And I completely agree with you that it's a great thing to do. However, if you are really strapped for time, do you think that I'm correct in saying, I don't think you need to watch the earlier seasons at all to have context for the season of Miami? No, you really don't, but it definitely helps. It's always more fun when you have like the deep, long, knowledge and context of all the situations. That's how I feel personally. I just could never jump in. It's good TV. It could stand on its own. I've been watching it and my family members have passed in and out who don't watch the show and they've been hooked. So I think that's a good representation. Right. But I mean, let's compare it to something like Potomac. You can start this most recent season of Potomac having never watched and it's going to be good TV, but you're going to be very confused. I mean, so much of it is the remainder of Monique and Candace and so much there. Whereas this particular season of Miami, I think because it's so many years later, I genuinely feel like if you don't have the time, it's fine. You can start here. Yeah. I think the reason it could work is because the plot is so little about the dynamics between the women and so much about their individual storylines that you can sort of jump in and they catch you up. But I don't know. There's something about seeing them in the earlier days that I just love. Either way, just watch it. I don't care how. I don't care what. Just watch it. <laughs> okay, so we're going to do Salt Lake City, then Miami, then OC. One quick announcement I want to make is that they are recording the Salt Lake City reunion today. Andy posted a video. I think Lisa Barlow is sitting next to him, and it sounds like it's a good It's a good day. It's going to be a great one. I mean, we'll get into this in 30 seconds when we start, but last reunion, it was just the beginning of seeing some very palpable tension between Meredith and Lisa, and you still couldn't tell how real it was. And now that tension is absolutely happening and it's authentic. So I know there's so many other dynamics, but personally for me, that is the thing I am probably the most interested in watching. Yeah. And really comparing it to how we felt last year, it's going to be so good. As a total side note, I know this has nothing to do with Bravo, but I just got to mention it because it dropped maybe five minutes before we started recording. If you have any interest in general pop culture, this Julia Fox, Kanye thing, an interview mag that we were just discussing right before we started recording, you guys, Julia and I will talk about it on Monday, but holy shit. I am sorry. I know this isn't Bravo, but Jesus. She put out a full statement about how she feels about the relationship behind the scenes of the paparazzi photos from New York. And inside him doing a full dressing of her, very reminiscent of early day Kim. There's so much happening here. And I just want to tell you that that was the last thing that I was expecting to happen. Not necessarily that he was going to go through the same you know, pattern of styling her. That's a very Connie thing. Fine. But I was never expecting to get a lengthy statement from her about the trajectory of their relationship. That is so out of left field for me. And in Interview Magazine, very artsy way, the same day that Kim and Pete photos from the Bahamas are out, it's my brain hurts. And then bringing back to Bravo on top of that, really cherry on top, 
both Steve Lodge, Vicky's ex, and Tom D'Agostino, Luann's ex, got engaged over our break. Both of them. <laughs> you can't make this up. You saw the whole series with the different housewives responding to Andy when he was saying that he just wants Vicky to find a nice man and Garcelle was weighing in and other housewives were saying like, hey, what about me? And he's like, listen, I want it for all of you, but I feel like Vicky's really been through the ringer. And Tom was celebrating his new engagement on New Year's Eve. I don't know if that's the day that it happened. And that's the anniversary of when him and Luann got married. It's just, it you can't make this shit up. No, all the same week that Tristan Thompson drops that Insta story. So, And Nicki Minaj sends Gucci presents to all of the Potomac kids. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? It's going to be a strange year. I mean, I don't know if we're off to a great start or the weirdest start ever. <laughs> Probably both. Okay, let us get into Salt Lake City. How do you feel? I feel great. This was a juicy episode. It was juicy. And I want to just start off the bat before we get into the conversation between Whitney and Heather. Let's just discuss the elephant in the room. This conversation between Mary and Jenny was so objectively wrong on Mary's part. And her lack of willingness to understand where Jenny was coming from was very hard to watch. It's painful to watch. She handled it as best as I think possible. It's just an impossible situation. And the other women really supporting her and then Meredith sort of not supporting. It was all a lot. Okay, can I be honest with you? I adore Meredith, as you know. I've always felt that she kind of played this narration role throughout the show. And I still really like and enjoy her and respect her. But I'm a little bit confused about this relationship going on with Mary because they were always friends and that's one thing. That's great. But it's this strange alliance that I could understand where the rest of the women are coming from and thinking, did they have something going on together? Because where did this come from? Yeah, it's sort of weird. I never really pinned Meredith as someone to be a little bit of a follower, especially to Mary. That never seemed like their relationship to me. And now it sort of seems like the two of them are very connected and whatever one says, the other agrees with. And it feels like Meredith is very much following and defending Mary so intensely. Yes. And, you know, listen, I know the conspiracy here is that Meredith and Mary weren't in cahoots as it applies to Jen. I don't know enough yet to make an assessment one way or another. That's not what I believe at all. But hey, it's one of the theories that's thrown out there. That's fine. I do wonder if Meredith feels like the path of least resistance is the one that allows her to not get on Mary's bad side. But it feels a little overboard. It's one thing to not want to be on someone's bad side. It's another to be attached at the hip and sort of blindly follow their opinions and their every move. I get it. They probably bond over hating Jen. That's fine. But this feels like it's a way deeper thing than that. I want to talk about Whitney and Heather at Whitney's house because they're basically discussing the possibility that Mary had something to do with Jen's arrest. And they flash back to Mary not showing up at the Beauty Lab parking lot that morning and also Meredith going separately. And this is when they kind of start to conspire about what could possibly be going on. But I want to go back for a second to when the Salt Lake City trailer dropped, the season two trailer. And the scene that was the most frequently discussed was the one where they're on vacation, wherever tropical place they are. And Meredith is in that white dress when Jen gets in her face saying, did you have something to do with this? And Meredith kind of slams it. Remember when that first came out, we were so confused as to how Jen would have arrived at that conclusion. We knew they didn't get along, but it's like, how do we get from point A to point B? Right now, this is how the sausage is getting made. We are watching that process eventually boil over to that moment we saw in the trailer. It felt like such a huge jump when we saw it without any prior knowledge or seeing how we got there. It was like, okay, that just seems ridiculous, right? But now, as I see how it's building, it kind of makes sense. Obviously, our thoughts could totally change. If you ask me right now in this moment, Thursday, January 6th, do I think that Meredith had anything to do with Jen's arrest? I would say absolutely not. But I've been wrong before. I'm open to being wrong again. I just don't foresee that being the case. I also don't see Mary and Meredith doing something like that together. I just don't think either of them trust the other one enough to go through something that serious and to literally pick up the phone and call as sort of revenge for the things that she's done in the past. I could be wrong. It could be one. It could be the other. It could be both of them. But 
to me, the whole theory about why they didn't show up to the bus sort of feels like a little bit of a stretch, but it's the most fun to watch Whitney and Heather putting all these pieces together and playing detective in a really fun way. Also, by the way, technically it makes sense in terms of why they weren't there. Meredith was planning the trip. She was already in Colorado. And then Mary, I just can't envision her ever wanting to be in a bus with those women for hours. To me, that's her worst nightmare. Right. We never thought anything of it when it happened in the moment because it was very on brand for both of them. So I don't know. We could be making up conspiracy theories about this until the end of time. Truly, there's a million things, but it is just crazy that I everyone keeps saying this. Jen Shaw was basically arrested and hunted down by Homeland Security on TV in front of our eyes. And it's not even the main plot because there's so many other things going on. Yeah, that is when you know a show is good. By the way, that is Alexia from Miami Vibes. Right, That exactly. I want to talk about Lisa's conversation with John. I know it was very brief, but she's basically saying that, you know, Meredith is being weird and distant. She said, quote, we're speaking different languages. And listen, how many times have we seen housewives talk to their husbands about the different dynamics in friend groups? That's one thing. The reason that I was more interested in this conversation than your average is because John knows Meredith very well also. They are very close family friends. Their kids kind of grew up together. John is very close with Seth. You know, the four of them hang out frequently. And so it just runs deeper than any of the rest of them discussing their dynamics with their husbands. Yeah, it felt like a big moment because I feel like until now, Lisa was almost afraid or too in denial to admit that her and Meredith would ever have issues or that they were having issues or something was different because she loves Meredith. She really looks up to her. And I think that they had this sort of set in stone idea in both of their heads, really Meredith less and less, but Lisa, for sure that we've been friends for 10 years. We're like sisters, you know, we would never go against each other. And they were trying to keep that image alive and it wasn't the truth anymore. You know, you could say it until you're blue in the face, but at a certain point, actions speak louder than words. And I think for Lisa to finally have this revelation and then say it out loud and admit it to her husband and on camera, I felt like, okay, we're actually getting somewhere and nobody's believing the bullshit anymore. It's interesting because in a weird way, while I agree with you, Lisa was totally in denial. And I have to imagine that saying it out loud was hard. There's a part of me that thinks it probably felt kind of good for her to to actually be able to admit it, especially to such a safe place like John, right? Like she was so, I don't know, I think so afraid of this being the reality. And then she's slowly starting to accept it. And even though that's scary, it must be a little freeing. It must be. Wait, Andy just posted a story of him talking to Jen Shaw at the reunion. Let's see what he said. Jen Shaw, this was not the outfit that I expected you to be wearing today. Really? Yeah. What did you think I was going to wear? Well, I mean, it's really, I think it's going to really surprise people. Well, I was supposed to come in here in like a cloak and I think we know the outfit, the high white collared shirt. I don't know. I expected something a little more demure. I don't know why. I mean, all right, I do. Can I just, this is a little preview. That's a glove. I mean... Oh, she's wearing like a very sequiny glove. You know what? She brings it. Say what you want about Jen Shaw. They are sitting down and talking about her arrest and fraud, and she is in full purple embellished sequin gloves. And that's a housewife. <laughs> that's a goddamn God-born given housewife. Oh, Isabel, I am so on your page. I said that to you last week. I texted you randomly being like, you know what? Fuck it, sue me. I like watching Jen Shaw. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you either. (laughs) Okay, this Wild Rose relaunch. Oh my God. When Whitney started planning this party, this is not what she had in mind. Not in the slightest, but also, I know this is really not the point. I am so stressed about their savings. I just pray to God. I, I almost, I'm watching this episode and I swear to God, the tactic was almost working because I'm about to order this shit online just to rehab their savings. I know. I haven't changed my skincare in years and I will not put anything on my face. I'm very picky. But at this point, I'm about to make my whole routine wild rose just to make sure that their whole savings isn't down the toilet and that cute little Bobby can go to college. <laughs> I was about to say, I want to make sure Bobby has a college experience, you know? 
<laughs> and I think like both Woody wait, and Justin. Wait, 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 I'm sorry. Hilarious visual. Me and you online, like buying a massive quantity of wild rose because we are so concerned about funding Bobby's college journey. Oh my god. No, but seriously, Whitney and Justin are both like very smart with it people and so ambitious. I just don't understand what's going on here. And the party was beautiful and great, but you're already so deep in the red. Was it necessary to get the wild rose letters in roses? I don't really know. I don't know. I, I I feel like it's overstepping to make any sort of insertion one way or another. It's her business. I'm not going to tell her how to run it. However, on the scale of vicarious anxiety you feel as a viewer, I would say that mine was on the rise. I know. And you're so good about money and planning it all out in your head and savings and I don't know, all the shit. Like I, I'm not well versed in it. And you're texting me like, hold on. What is she saying? Their savings, their business saving, their combined account, their joint account. When were they married? I'm like, I don't fucking know. Call my accountant. I always wanted to get on the phone with my accountant and be like, can we break this down for a second? Right. Does this make sense to you? Can you, can you go to 20 minutes and 43 seconds of the most recent episode of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City? It's the same energy of me making sure my therapist had seen and just like that so that I could talk about the scene without spoiling it for her. <laughs> no, that's my favorite. We have to do something with that. We have to make a meme or an article. I don't know, but it's amazing. <laughs> okay, so let's get into this. Basically, Jenny brings the boots to the event, which was it necessary? No. Was I happy she did it? Absolutely. This is a great housewife moment that I will give tens across the board for. And then finding out that Mary like re-gifted all this stuff from her closet. I mean, by the way, her closet is basically a secondhand luxury store, but that they weren't really intended for her and that the whole thing was weird. But I'm also really happy that Jenny confronted Mary in front of everyone because it gave her a little bit of backup and also allowed for it to go down in front of everyone so things couldn't be misconstrued and that they could support her story and say, no, this is exactly what you said and did. Everyone here what saw it and heard it and can hold you accountable. I also am very glad that this happened in a group setting because it was a rare moment where accountability had to be taken because you had so many people that heard something and were going to say what they heard was true. So two separate conversations here, because in terms of Jenny with the I comment, like, as we said, that was just factually, objectively wrong. And even though Mary handled it kind of terribly, I'm still really glad that Jenny called her out for it. But in terms of Jen, I know here they're talking about the quote Mexican thug comment, but just in general, even if we go to last week with Jenny's luncheon, if it was any other housewife, I would call total bullshit. But there is a part of me, even though I think that Mary is completely in the wrong, there is a part of me that believes her when she says that she forgets that she said some of these things. Like, I would never accept that from anyone else, but I feel like she cares so little about Jen and like disregards her as a human being that I genuinely believe she sometimes forgets what she says about her because she just doesn't give a shit. Do you think that's completely wrong? No, I think it's very possible because she doesn't feel a single bit of remorse afterward. So it's easy for it to just like kind of slide off her shoulders and go out of her brain. Fine. It's not an excuse, but maybe believable. But I also think there's an element where Mary doesn't even realize or somehow thinks the things that she says is okay. Therefore, she doesn't like take note of it. So she doesn't even remember like a throw she to her what she thinks is like a throwaway comment or just a, a normal insult when in reality they are completely like racial derogatory disgusting things that are appalling to everybody who hears them. The women don't do a good job of calling her out in the moment because I think they're a little bit shocked, which is not an excuse, but it needs to be done. And I, I just don't understand. I, I don't get how she even says these things without caring. And then I don't get how she also forgets them. And then again, if she doesn't think there's anything wrong with them, why she wouldn't just admit it. So it's like her own web, just it's a, it's like a hamster wheel. It is a hamster wheel and it's very frustrating to watch. And if I was Jenny, I, I would feel very frustrated by the way that Mary is so dismissive and I almost wish she would pretend to care in that moment. And then she keeps saying it again and again and defending what she's saying instead of just, even if for some reason she can't understand how it's wrong or why it's wrong, Jenny is coming to you in what I would say is a very calm manner and confronting you, in, which she doesn't have to do. And 
you still are continuing to say these things after she's saying how much they hurt you. It's like, come on. I love Meredith, but I think she handled this moment poorly because when Whitney kind of circles back and says, guys, you know, these racial discriminatory things are completely wrong. I'm uncomfortable with this. Can we stop? And Meredith's response is 100% and it goes well beyond prejudice. And then she goes into the point about how people were talking about Jen behind her back. Don't get me wrong. Meredith's point as it applies to Jen is accurate. Like if you're going to say you're her friend, at least be her friend. Me, I said I'm not, so I have nothing to do with her. That's true and fair, but it was the wrong moment and she was equating two things that were not equal. Yes, and after when they were all sort of going around asking like, do you think that was wrong to say? Meredith's sort of wishy-washy like, you know, I don't know if I'd say it. I don't know if it's definitely offensive. Like she was still riding so hard for Mary. And it's like, even in this moment, you can't put that aside and really look on your morals and say, this is so fucked up. And, and all the women in their confession were like, okay, that was not cool of Meredith. And also what spell does Mary have over her that there she's even defending this indefensible action? The way that Meredith was handling the situation was very Lisa Barlow vibes. Yeah, like trying to just make sure everybody still liked her. This is a moment where there is such a clear right and wrong side to take, and there's no question about it. And I don't, I she didn't have to be mean or like come down hard on Mary, but she's she could have at least said that's not cool, you know, like I don't support that. Now it's a bad look for her too, by the way. Not that this is at all about Meredith's look, but if you're really getting in Meredith's head selfishly for her, it's what is the reason? Well, we kind of said this, I know it's completely different clearly because we're talking about very different issues, but we even were talking about this last week when we said that we feel Meredith is clearly almost separating herself from Lisa because she thinks that the way that Lisa is acting is so preposterous and not something that she wants to be associated with and make her even look worse. So it's not like she's above removing herself from a situation or not taking a side when she thinks it makes her look worse. And like you said, that's the wrong motivation. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And it shouldn't always be about how you fare. But I'm just being honest about the human dynamics at all. So yes, for a multitude of reasons, the way she handled this was very bizarre. And in my opinion, just wrong. Totally. Can we get into Lisa and Meredith and then Mary having a conversation? Because this, you think the night's over and then bam, we have a whole other thing happen. To me, the stuff with Lisa and Meredith always feels the heaviest. It's the most real. It's like we were introduced to them as we were friends before the show and we had a strong bond before the show. So that always cuts much deeper when things that happen during the show sort of tear apart their friendship. It's sad. It's really sad. Do you agree with Meredith when she says to Lisa, you're continually attacking me and yelling at me? Yeah, I think Lisa comes on a little strong. And like, even at the luncheon last week, we were saying she couldn't calm herself down and she gets very like worked up, which I think is just the opposite of how Meredith is and how she handles things. So it's like a lot for her to take. And she wants Lisa to just like take a breath and have a normal conversation. So I get it. But in normal times, Meredith would just say, oh, this is how Lisa is. But she just is fed up with it, I think, at this point. I think so. I think so as well. And I think but she does. I don't blame Lisa. By the way, I don't blame Lisa. Like, Lisa has so much going on. She's so upset. If that's how she is, that's how she is. Like, it's also rude of Meredith to be like, you got to stop being the way you are. Well, in the way that I would feel, because I agree with you in terms of being able to see it from both sides, if I'm Lisa, I almost want to say to her, I've always been this way. Like, yeah, the show came on. It changed things a little bit. There are clearly dynamics here that we didn't have to consider before. But Lisa is who she is, whether you like it or not. And she's been this way. So unless there was some major fundamental change, I don't know. I think it's just that they never really fought before this. So now it's, Meredith is now on the other end of what she's seen and she doesn't like it. Mm -hmm. oh, what about the Mary conversation here? No, and then Mary says she doesn't want to talk to her, completely shuns her out. So now Lisa's two for two. And it's like, it was a short conversation, but it said everything you needed to say. And now I sort of feel like it's Meredith and Mary versus Lisa, which for Lisa is probably really upsetting to feel. The one productive thing was when Mary said to Lisa, listen, if I say something wrong in the moment, tell me in the moment. And Lisa's response was, you know, I'm trying to get better at that or something to that effect, which I thought if we're trying to give credit where it is due was a productive note. Yeah. I can't wait for <sighs> next week. 
I can't believe they are sitting down right now filming this reunion. I know. I am so excited. I love this franchise. I know. I love when they're literally filming reunions as we speak. Like, I wonder what they're saying. I wonder what the clips are. I wonder who's fighting. I I wonder what's being resolved. Like, we have all these questions and things that we are just kind of coming up with out of thin air from our inference and educated guesses. And here they are sitting down getting the answers. In purple sequin gloves. In purple sequin gloves. Okay, let's go to Miami. So Mother's Day is coming up, and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom, because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and... Every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray, and it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray, and Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real, and for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game-changer. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. So since we last recorded, three episodes of Miami have come out. We've so far only covered two. And in this one, we're really going to touch on just the most recent two. So episodes four and five, which were so unbelievably action-packed. I can't say enough good things. I feel like this podcast has become an hour and 20 minutes of us just praising Miami, but it's so well-deserved. And these past two episodes were as raw and real and also interesting and juicy and glamorous as you could possibly ask for. I just think back to being on various different Bravo-focused podcasts, like let's say in the last two years, and people would always ask a variation of a question, okay, who's your ideal lineup of ultimate housewives? If you were doing the ultimate girls trip, who would you choose? And I never once mentioned anyone from Miami because they were just not at all top of mind. I'm telling you right now, Isabel, if that question ever resurfaces in any interview we do, Mark my words, Alexia will be in that top five list because she is a phenomenal housewife. The thing is, I think literally all of them could be on a list. And that's why we have almost an all-star cast as a cast. And that's such a fun feeling. I know, but Alexia is in a category of her own. I told you, most interesting woman in the world. Yeah. Okay, so episode four, I know we're not doing full recaps, but I quickly want to talk about Alexia's conversation with Herman's lover, which I know we didn't get to see on camera, but four hours. Imagine how deep that must've been. You know, when Alexia, Marisol and Alexia's assistant, I forget his name. When they get together, it's going to be a good time and tea is going to be spilled and they're going to get drunk and it's going to get really deep because Alexia and Marisol have such a close friendship for real, for real, which I love. And I mean, I was disappointed, yes, that he didn't show up, but I also understand because 
It's not just about showing up. It's about showing up and doing this on camera. And is that even respectful to Herman? He's not here. What would he want? So not, I'm not saying Alexia was wrong. I'm just saying it's, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it than just, oh, I'm disappointed he didn't show up. But I'm so glad they had such a nice conversation. And it seems like she had all of her questions answered. And my God, this is just like, it's incredible. It's really, it's unbelievable. I'm glad you said that about Herman potentially being disrespected by the conversation being aired because that was my same thought. And again, no shade to Alexia by any means for wanting to do it. I understand her motive, of course, but I think that the way that it went down was probably the way that it was meant to. Yeah, I agree. I also think from her perspective, it's really honorable to show like, I was okay with this. I want to have closure and, you know, just this really modern outlook, I think that she has on the whole thing. Well, what's really unique about this particular situation, we found this out in one of the earlier episodes, is that after her father passed away, as we know, she found out that he was also gay. And so I think that there's something throughout the Herman experience that is very reminiscent of her father. And I think, I'm sure she has a million emotions swirling, but so much of it is probably feeling that pain on behalf of both of them that they were not able to live their truest selves while they were alive. Right. And also, you have to remember, they were divorced technically at the time like for a year at the time that he passed so i think she had time to get over not get over but get through their marriage ending and then separately deal with him dying and then on top of that his sort of secret life that he had when they were together mhm mhm i want to get into adriana and gertie at julia's farm Okay, where do we start? You knew it was going to be a shit show from the beginning when Adriana shows up in white Valentino shoes. I want to start out just a general statement. I consider myself incredibly straight. Like on the spectrum, I know sexuality is a very fluid thing, but personally for me, I am a very straight woman. That being said, there is something about Julia that I swear to God, I get it. She's like an intoxicating personality. And it's not only how beautiful she is. She's the type of person where you just like feel like you could find yourself getting attracted to her. Do you know what I mean? Oh, a million percent. I feel the exact same way. And that's why I think that is just her way. Everyone's like, oh, this friendship with Adriana is so weird. I think Adriana has a little bit of that too. Just like that open, free, very sexual thing. But Julia is like, I'm obsessed with her. And so like everything about her, I think is beyond amazing. She's beautiful. She's smart. She, the accent, the lifestyle, the farm, like the clothes, the, everything about her, I love. And I so get it. Yeah. Intoxicating is the right word. Like she is the definition of when you walk into the room, she sort of like lights it up and all eyes go on her. And it's not just about looks. She happens to be a fucking like supermodel, but it's not even just that. No, it's not at all. I I just so get it. I so get the appeal. Like this is a very kind of bizarre thing to say, but <laughs> my like ideal scenario would be going to her house. <laughs> I think we're gonna have to, no, it, it sounds so, it, I don't mean for it to sound weird, but like, I just want her to like, tell me about her life while she like puts my hair in a ponytail. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like she's so relaxing. Yeah, like her voice is almost like ASMR. Yes. <laughs> no, I I agree. We're keeping that because I really want to see how many other people feel this way. I don't know what is it like. I can't pinpoint it, but I know everyone listening will feel the same way. Yeah, I don't even know if it's like romantic or sexual, or also just like I think honestly, what it is also is like just such a feeling of safety. Like, oh my god, I, I think that <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I think that you would feel so at home in her presence. Everything about her. <laughs> we like literally we can't ever have her on this podcast because of like we're just like we're gonna just drool first of all this foot massage i mean who knew what was about to go on from this seemingly innocent foot massage seemingly innocent and like everyone making it mostly gertie because she was the one who saw it but making it like this big deal like as if they literally had sex in front of her eyes Martina is married to Julia. We've watched Julia for five episodes now, and we already have this intuition of how she is, like everything that we just talked about for 10 minutes. Martina knows her wife, and Julia is a grown woman. She can do what she wants. There's cameras there. It's not like she did something hidden behind closed doors. 
And to make it like this whole big thing was so weird. Again, like we said, this is just how Julia is. It's very much how Adriana is. Adriana keeps referring to Julia as her best friend. I really do think that they are very, very close outside of the show and have been close. It's not bullshit. It's not like they just met. And I don't know how it turned into this whole saga. I mean, at the end of the day, if Martina was uncomfortable with it, I get it. You know, that's, yeah, that's, of course. Like, that's her, completely, you know, up to her. You can't tell anybody else how to feel about the, the action of their spouse. But the way Gertie handled it, I just didn't enjoy. I don't know. No, it felt very unnecessary. As if Julia would be doing something on camera around other people or at all that would make her wife uncomfortable. No. That's what it is, though. I mean, it's it's interesting because at the end, I guess Gertie was proven correct because Martina was uncomfortable with it. So if you really want to get technical, like technically Gertie won. But the reaction in the moment almost felt insulting to both Adriana and Julia. I don't know if Martina was actually upset. I think she was sort of poking fun, a little jealous, knows how Julia is flirty. Maybe she takes it a little too far sometimes. But 20 minutes later at the same dinner, to calm Adriana down, Julia goes up to her and starts kissing her all over the cheeks, and Martina doesn't flinch. It's like just another day, you know? So, I, yeah, the whole thing was crazy, but what it spiraled into is what's even more interesting. Yeah, I mean, this conversation between Gertie and Julia, which – really brought to light some tragic events. And I guess I should give a trigger warning for infant death, but they both kind of confide in each other over a miscarriage and then also the loss of Julia's four-month-old son, which was just terrible. It was heartbreaking start to finish. What I wasn't expecting it. I said this to you before, just from like a purely editing note, the scene felt very rushed and choppy and edited weird. I don't know what happened before and after. I don't know. It felt like Gertie was a little bit prompted to ask that question about, did you ever think about having a son or want a son because you have two daughters? So I, I don't know if the scene was handled as delicately as I would have liked it to be, but heartbreaking on both sides. And I did feel bad because I felt like I saw Adriana's point that Gertie was, you know, bringing up her own stories to almost relate to Julia, but that Adriana was really comforting Julia and saying like, this isn't about you and not giving Gertie the support she needed in that moment. And I felt really bad. You know, you can't compare tragedies. Everyone's tragedy is their own thing, but both terrible. And hearing Julia talk about how, you know, her son died on her watch. Oh my God. I didn't know. I mean, of course, how would we know? But it just, if it's like, we feel like we know them, we've watched them for these couple of hours and then you just are finding out more new things and it, adds layers to who they are in their background. Yeah. I think that the editing made Gertie look worse in this scene than she came across. I think that she was just really triggered by it and she just felt so sad. It was such like a maternal reaction. I think she was just feeling Julia's pain while also experiencing her own. So I disagreed with Adriana's take. And also the irony of this was really something when Gertie is sharing her loss and Adriana immediately jumps in and adds in hers. So it really just goes to show that, in my opinion, Adriana just dislikes Gertie and no matter what she does in whatever capacity, she's not going to approve of it, which is fine, but let's call it like it is. Yeah, that's true. Adriana then became sort of the one-upper and saying, oh, you're not the only one who came here with nothing to this country, with nothing in your pocket. And you're not the only one who's not experienced loss. And that was sort of what she didn't like Gertie doing all along. What did you think about when Gertie and Adriana really have that, you know, blow up at the birthday party? And it was kind of Martina getting involved, Nicole getting involved. I don't think anybody really knew how to handle it because it got, do you think this is the correct way to say it? Almost like randomly far deeper than anybody ever anticipated. Yeah. All of a sudden they're having like this surface level sort of bickering fight and it got to a place of like real pain and hurt and backgrounds and family. And it was like, how the fuck did we get here? Like we're literally at this Tulum themed birthday party that Gertie threw and okay. Adriana screaming at her, you know, let's change seats. You're so annoying. Whatever she was saying is one thing, but then it all of a sudden pivoted. And I felt like 
Gertie was trying to share this story for, you know, a reason. She, of course, had a reason. Then got upset no one was listening to her. Then Lisa was trying really hard to say, no, I want to hear you. And Gertie's like, no, the moment has passed. She didn't feel like she was being heard or that anyone was being sympathetic. And that took it to another level. It was just a goddamn mess, truly. It was an absolute disaster. And also, let me tell you something. Yes, this got far deeper than any of us anticipated. But the second Adriana walked into that backyard and looked at Gertie and said that she felt underwhelmed and then did up the bar to impress Julia, there was no shot that the night was going to go on smoothly when that happened because Gertie and Adriana may have their personality differences. That's one thing. Gertie takes her craft very seriously and specifically with event planners, not just Gertie, any. I think that somebody coming in and off the bat acting like they know how to run your event better than you do is so fucking triggering. And you could just tell it wasn't going to go on smoothly. I think Adriana just doesn't like Gertie. And I don't know if it's a thing where she feels like she's becoming close to Julia, that Gertie's becoming close to Julia and Adriana's very territorial or their personalities really don't click. I think kind of a mix of both. Yeah, you're right. Once she came in, started rearranging the bar and telling Julia that, oh, I did it. Look, I, you know, it didn't look good when I came in and throwing her under the bus. That was bad. And then at the dinner, when Adriana is trying to have a conversation with Martina and Gertie keeps interrupting, keeps getting like involved, which I think is a really like hot button for Adriana. That was when I was like, okay, I was sick of you before, but now at this point, like it's enough. And I get it. Like that is an annoying thing to happen, but they are not going to get along. I do not see it happening. I don't see a friendship forming there. And I just thought. What? There's not going to be a reunion. Why? Is there? Wait, what made you say that? It, I mean, it's not Bravo. Wow. Oh my God, I'm sick to my stomach. <laughs> okay. Relax with the dramatics here. Wait. No, I'm like literally going to cry. Wait, why do you, I feel like that's a, I'm not saying that you're wrong, but I feel like that's a very pessimistic outlook for something that we don't even know <laughs> the outcome of. I, I just don't see how, I, I don't think that would be a thing. I don't know. It's possible. Oh also, wait, I know we're about to get into the next episode, but I need to say something that I forgot to say. Well, I didn't really forget. We were only doing episodes four and five. I need to say something from episode three. Okay. Okay. This is just a more general statement, but it came to my mind when Larsa was touring houses with Lisa. And just in general, it was a little bit more about Larsa. <laughs> the one time she wasn't talking about OnlyFans. Yes. I know we went on this whole rant last time, so I'm not going to get into it about how our thoughts about Larsa kind of, or mine at least, I maybe had a little bit of a change of heart in watching her. I really got to say, I am appreciative of this narrative of empowerment that she's on and really the idea of not standing in the shadow of your husband and just living your life at whatever age it is, how you want to. Yes, she has her ship, but you know what? I can get on board with that. And I just want to publicly support that. Yeah, I agree with you. I I think Lars is a good person. Like she's very nice. She's just a little dumb and a little fake and that's fine. It's great. But I agree with you. I think it's a great message. And the more that she breaks down, Lisa said it best. I, I don't remember which episode, but that I think it was this one, actually, the most recent, that Larsa, she didn't know what she thought of Larsa in the beginning, and she puts up really high walls, but Lisa has broken them down as they became friends for longer and closer. And I feel like that's what we need to happen. Like, Larsa doesn't seem like a real person. She's sort of robotic. And then, and all you see is her Instagram. But then when she's having, like, these emotional moments, or even when she's just with Sophia, shopping, buying her Fendi shorts for school, like, okay, you are a real person under there. And you know what? She was so close to Kim for so long. To me, I know it ended in shit, but that means that there's something good in there. Uh, For sure. I mean, you know how we feel about Kim in terms of judge of character. Of course. I mean, she's the ultimate. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And 
I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quinn's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends. So I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. You're kind of killing two birds with one stone. And the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. Okay, I want to get into hands down the most impactful scene from this episode, which was the last 12 or so minutes, the conversation between Todd, Alexia, and Peter. But before we do that, I quickly want to give a trigger warning for domestic violence and discuss what came out today from page six, which is that Peter had been arrested after allegedly slapping and kicking his girlfriend in a domestic dispute again today, Thursday. So I know it's not necessarily related to what we're talking about here, but I do think it's important to mention. Yeah. I mean, I read the full report. It is, if true, so just heartbreaking, inexcusable, disgusting. Mm -hmm, Completely. I mean, this conversation was really intense. And I actually think this was one of the more honest interactions we've seen with a family dynamic. Not that it was the most heated. We've definitely seen more where people were yelling more and it got a little more intense. Maybe it even got physical, but God, this was so real. This was so raw. I mean, they, they really were acting as if the cameras were not there. No, like I I know I've been very dramatic. I know I was almost just crying because there's no reunion, whatever, but am I wrong in that this was maybe 12 minutes of the most groundbreaking reality television where you are literally a fly on the wall. There is nothing being held back. This is real pain. This is real honesty. This is real dynamics and relationship. This is a fiance at almost husband and wife really disagreeing and fundamentally, you know, not on the same page about how they're going to raise her son. And also the relationship between the son and Todd. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And it was almost like not uncomfortable at all, but to the point where you're like, I can't believe I'm getting this much, not just Alexia recounting it and not like the bullshit version of this conversation. Like this is it. Right. And also this wasn't show drama. The The event that they are discussing was something that didn't even happen on camera, which right. is just how you know how real it was. You know, like it ran so deep. And also this was the first time that they were discussing it since that happened. You never get that. You never get such an authentic conversation that really reflects the first reaction to such an event. I mean, what a hard position. And I... Okay, let's give general thoughts. I guess my biggest- I was biggest, just going to say that, yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, my my most general stance is that I don't think necessarily Todd was wrong in what he was saying. I think he probably has a point. 
And I know that he was frustrated, so he wasn't caring too much about the softness of his delivery. But I did feel that it was very harsh and really kind of didn't allow any room for Peter and Alexia's feelings. And on top of that, kind of removed their life before he got there, which I can imagine was very upsetting for both of them. Completely. I agree with you. I've been thinking about this a lot since I watched. I think, number one, Todd is coming at the end of the day from a really good place. He's assuming this father figure role in these boys' lives because, you know, they're biological father I don't really think is in the picture and has had like a very rocky past their stepfather who they were close to and I think raised them in some capacity passed away so now Todd is here and he's a dad to his own kids so he knows the drill and he and he loves Alexia and I think he really cares about being present in that role and giving them like a male fatherly figure that they can actually rely on and look up to but also who gives them tough love in order to make them both better, especially Peter, who it seems really needs that. I think everything he said, if you broke it down, if you put it down on paper, I agree with, and I almost think Alexia would agree with, as much as she doesn't want to admit it. But I think what you said before is really the key element here. What made them the most upset was Todd disregarding all of the pain and time and how much this rocked their world before he was ever in the picture. He wasn't there. He didn't go through it. It's like when people go through traumatic events and someone comes in and thinks that they know everything, it's like, no, you weren't there. And Peter gets really defensive of not only himself, but of Alexia saying, you have only seen the last couple of years when we are at the best place we are. Since the accident, like Alexia gave up her life. She did everything she could for Frankie. She gave up, literally gave up everything and committed her life to making things better for him. And he wasn't around to see that. But I do agree his initial sentiment of, Peter, you are not doing what you can to be a good brother to him. And that's frustrating for us to see because we don't want him to go down this path. Maybe it's your thing. And maybe you're in denial that he's not a quote, normal 24 year old. I felt like that was all true, but it got heated and it got to a place that I could see why Peter was so upset. And by the way, everything that we predicted that he had said was exactly what he said. And I was almost surprised that Todd was still standing by some of it. I really didn't know how to feel about this because the logical side of my brain was very much understanding what he was saying and it was resonating with me. But it was so antithetical to the way that I personally would ever handle a situation like that. And also Mm -hmm. that I would want or expect anybody I loved around me to like, there is a certain level, in my opinion, of softness that you have to have when you're trying to get your point across, especially when it's something this deep. And I felt like, would it have killed you? Meaning you, meaning Todd to like, just validate them for a minute. Like if he spent one minute just saying, I know what you all went through after this and really like just gave them some credit. At the end of the day, all human beings want some sort of acknowledgement for what they did, even if it's your quote job. You know, it's Alexia is Frankie's mother. He went through this accident. Of course, she was going to do everything in her power, but still you want, you want to hear that. It's not that you want the praise. You just want the acknowledgement and he was giving none of it. And God, I think that that is infuriating, you know, and I know we didn't even talk about this yet, but this is like a side element. I felt very, um, I, I let me be very careful in my words. I'm not saying this was wrong. I do not know their family dynamic better than they do. I'm just voicing the way I felt. Watching it, I felt very uncomfortable that they were having the conversation about Frankie in front of Frankie. It felt, uh, I don't want to use the word dehumanizing because that's a little bit harsh, but it felt slightly wrong to me. And I, I don't know if that was just me. Yeah, that upset me too. Just because they were also talking about him as if he wasn't there, not like including him in the conversation, which also would have been hard either way. You know, they're talking about really like one of the most raw, hard things about him and and how they're as a family having to, quote, deal with him, which can't be easy. And I don't know sort of his understanding of the situation, but that was really hard. And also uh, him in the corner comforting Alexia when she's just watching, I was really tearing up. And then... Like you said, yeah, I think Todd 
was coming from a real tough love place. I think that's sort of just maybe his style. And he feels like, you know, down the road, six months, you'll thank me. And you know that I'm just wanting to get you on. Nobody has said this to you before, and I want to get you on a good track. And I think that sometimes does work, but I wish he pivoted to a softer place when it got to the life before him route. And I just felt so fucking bad for Alexia because she's sitting there defending Peter and Frankie, but really Peter, because that's her son and he has been through all of it with her. But also she's treading on such like thin ice because she also doesn't want to heat Peter up to hate Todd more. You know, her goal at the end of this is that she still wants to marry Todd. She wants Peter to walk her down the aisle. And it was probably really hard. And I think I could feel her pulling back and choosing her words wisely so that she didn't further this notion of Peter, like, you know, fuck Todd. I hate Todd. He's the worst. Look what he's done and what he said and look what he's done to our family. Because that was like the last, that was the opposite of the goal of this conversation. Right. And in the moment when Todd is coming at her so strongly, I mean, she was really, I think that she handled that honestly the best she possibly could have, you know, defending herself, defending Peter, yet also not trying to get Peter riled up. But also the other point that I wanted to make in terms of them having the conversation in front of Frankie as if he wasn't there was, it reminded me of something years ago. I remember talking about with my therapist when it's a really upsetting feeling when parents or anybody have this like overwhelming sentiment of like, oh, what are we going to do about that? blank. So in this case, that Frankie, right? And they were obviously coming from a place of compassion. But when you make someone even unintentionally feel like they're the problem or even we can lessen the, the use of the word problem, like the, they are a burden or they are something that has to be dealt with. It's a very shitty feeling. And I think every single one of them, and again, it's their family dynamic. I'm not criticizing Alexia as a mother. I think she's a phenomenal mother. I'm just saying watching it, it made me really uncomfortable because I think they all could have been a little bit more gentle about not discussing him as if he was some sort of a burden on them in front of him. Completely. That that was all the elements of it. I felt really bad, but I also think there's a reason to include him in the conversation and not, you know, shun him out like he's some little kid that you can't listen to what we're talking about when we're sort of having a family sit down conversation. It's like it's really hard to say, but I do think though that seeing Todd and Alexia communicate in this way, even though it got heated and it was about the most probably upsetting topic in her life. I still felt that they were communicating to each other and there was still such respect there. And the end when they all are Peter and Todd hug, and then they all have a family hug. I was like, I can't, I, I was shook. I was speechless. I know. I wasn't expecting you to end like that. Me either. And I'm so glad that it did. I know me too. Wow. I I don't know. That was really, really a lot to take. And that was a phenomenal scene. And you could tell it was 100% authentic. Yes. Oh my God. As authentic as it gets. And I loved, loved watching it every second. This is why we watch reality TV. This is what I want to see. This right here. Exactly. This right here. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like Generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like You shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. 
No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. This situation with Noella and Jen is so bizarre. And I have to tell you, from the perspective of having multiple Instagram accounts that are tagged in random things, I cannot explain how much Noella was making an absolute mountain out of a molehill. Like, Sonia Morgan tags us. I was just, Emma, I was just going to say, put in perspective, Sonia Morgan tags us in every single Instagram story she posts, and we don't think anything of it. I, but so many housewives do. It is a tactic. Yes, when you yes. join, like when you join Bravo, it's a growth tactic. I mean, we used to think about back in the day when we first started comments, we used to do it. It's a, when Simon Huck came on the podcast the first time, our biggest joke was that he had blocked us years ago because anytime we would post something of Kim, we would tag everyone in their entourage, just hoping that it would get some traction back when we had like 10,000 followers. Like it's such a non-issue that I, I can't even humor her with any sort of a reaction because it was so ridiculous. But just also, again, not to be harsh, I know I've said this every week, I don't know these women. Like, I don't know Noella and I don't know Jen. I've known them for two hours and I don't really care about them yet. So for them to be having also on top of it, the dumbest argument, and then I have to listen to Noella whisper for an hour to Emily about her divorce, like, uh, Noelle, the amount of Instagram posts that Noella posted over the holiday is perhaps illegal. So... You're telling me you're mad. You're mad that Jen tagged you in one innocent little photo where she probably wrote like first day filming or like, you know, comes into my office. You're mad about that. And you have the audacity, the audacity to post (laughs) 45 videos and 12 paragraph essays about your husband and your divorce and him giving responses. And then also do Instagram stories like naked from the bathtub with your son talking about the divorce. I'm sorry. I, I I don't care. I am so over her. Like, I really liked her in the beginning, and I still like her strictly for the entertainment value. Like, if this was a soap opera, I would love to watch her. But if I almost want to say to Bravo, choose your lane. If you want me to have an actual emotional investment in these women, like I do in other franchises, like I do in Miami, like I do in Atlanta then you can't have Noella here because the drama that she's giving is so fabricated and so made up that I will never be able to form that deep connection. But if we want to pivot and make OC just a fucking shit show purely for fun, then I'm absolutely all on board with her acting like this. I also just can't stand, like, I get it. You're going through the weirdest, hardest, absolutely heartbreaking situation in your life. I get it. Your husband randomly started to do divorce papers. You're dealing with health issues with your son and it's a lot. And you're filming like the first time ever. However, every single time that anyone speaks to her, she opens her mouth. She makes some, what she thinks is witty comment about how she's just in the worst state of her life. Anytime someone even brings up having a drink, she's like, Oh, make it a double. Like she, she, every second is like, yeah, you know, you're telling me like, you know, I had a bad day. Oh, please. You're telling me like enough. We get it. I'm sorry. I I feel bad and I feel sympathy for her. I just don't literally, you know, the gif of Mariah Carey saying, I don't know her about JLo. That is how I feel. I don't know her. I mean, imagine being Jen, right? You go over, but like, by the way, I'm not even some Jen super fan. Again, don't know her either, but you go over to Noella just to have like any sort of a kind conversation. And she's like, you and your poorly lit photo where you look like absolute shit and you tagged me and that sent me. I would be like, are you okay? Yeah, I get it. Like, I get if you get weird vibes from someone. I think Noella was feeling weird vibes. She only met her twice. She felt like they all of a sudden were being treated as like best friends and they weren't. And they met through Bronwyn, which by the way, when they remind you of that, you're like, oh yeah. Like it all makes fucking sense now. It's very Bronwyn energy. Exactly. Wait, I'm sorry. Not that I didn't love watching Gina and Heather at, at the horse track because I did, but there's nothing really to talk about there. 
the Noella whispering with Emily, I am shocked the producers didn't stop that scene midway through and be like, if we wanted ASMR, we would have been on YouTube. I, I don't have anything to say about that. I don't. I'm not going there. I'm not, I'm not wasting my breath. What do you think, Emily? Was- I'm scared. I'm scared OC is getting really bad again and that Heather can't even save it. I know, and she's. I fucking love watching her. And I really do like watching the, the friendship with Gina. I actually enjoy it. I love it. And I think they are really, really good friends. Even today, Gina did such nice birthday posts for Heather. Like, I love them as friends. I could watch them. I think Gina is so goddamn entertaining, and I would love to be friends with her. So I love them together. And I think they're sort of yin and yang, and it's great to watch. But people are not liking Heather, especially this whole, like, threatening thing that she said to Shannon last week. They were like dramatic you know it's a little bit patronizing it's too intense blah 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 fine but it was what kind of needed to happen and you could feel that she was so fucking serious about this but I don't what do we do well somebody made the comment of why is it not okay for Erica to do that to Sutton and then all of a sudden it's okay for Heather to do that to Shannon and listen I don't think the two are equal, but I agree. It's uh, any sort of a threat, even if it's acknowledged as a threat, is not something I'm necessarily on board with. I definitely think Heather has had better moments, but I still, if I'm comparing her and Shannon, I just, I mean, it's Heather every day of the week. I think she's in a in a whole other league. Yeah, and like when Shannon goes over to John after the conversation, after Terry came over and they sort of sorted it out, and he's like, "How'd it go?" and she's like. Terry was very gracious. Heather fucking threatened me. <laughs> she like starts crying. I love you, Heather, but Shannon, you're not wrong. That's exactly what happened. Like it was one of the only times a housewife has recounted what happened to their significant other, and it's actually been a hundred percent accurate. Like she didn't exaggerate. No, she was perfectly right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anything else you'd like to mention? I think that we we were so like chaotic this episode because we haven't seen each other in what like three. Have we not seen each other in like three weeks? Yeah, I think so. Isn't that crazy? It's like the longest we've gone in ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely since the beginning of COVID, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Yeah. This is also just a chaotic Bravo week. It was a chaotic week in our lives. And I'm so glad that we have a podcast where you guys can be in on it. Yeah, it was a chaotic week in our lives for sure. Okay, well, we love you guys so much. Is there anything else you want to mention? I think that's it. Okay, we love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting us do this. And we'll see you next week. 